right. Good morning, everyone. Pretty snazzy little video there. I uh, hope you're doing well. My name is Aaron. I have the joy of serving as our pastor, and good to see you all today. Uh, have you ever asked yourself uh, the question, what do I do when God's plans don't make sense? What do I do when God's plans don't make sense? So we launched our church February of 2022, 15 months ago or so. And if you were here on launch Sunday, it was beautiful. It was amazing. Uh, we weren't in this room. We were actually in another building that I drove by there a day, and I was like, how did we make it over there at Silver Lakes? Total miracle. Uh, but we, were, we launched them over there. But that week for us as a family was crazy. In fact, it was out of control. Um, what you didn't see was as we were preparing for the week, Krista went to the doctor, and they did a, a scan on her, and they found a giant mass um, on her jaw. And, you know, news like that is never good. And so they said they had to do more tests to make sure that it wasn't cancerous. And we were freaked out. Uh, we were dealing with all of the things to go into the launch Sunday. Um, but really what was on our mind was the potential of Krista having cancer. I called the churchwide elders and our senior pastor, Matthew, and said, hey, can you pray for us? And on launch Sunday, it was amazing. We were all smiles and we were full of gratitude. But underneath that, uh, the, all of that, there was a sense of fear um, mixed in with some faith. The elders prayed over us before service. And if you'd seen Chris and I getting prayed over, maybe you thought that they were praying for my message or for people to know Jesus. But they were actually praying for Krista and for healing of what was going on in her job. Uh, the, so, Sunday came. Uh, we launched uh, the church, and she went and got tests and all of that. And then two weeks later, uh, Cole, my son, started uh, screaming in the middle of the night. And it was one of those screams where you know you need to pay attention, not one of those ones where you're like, yeah, get over it, kid. This was like, something is serious. So we took him down to urgent care. They looked at him and said, you need to take him to Chalk um, ER right away. Went to Chalk ER. They scanned him. Uh, at midnight, they said they, he needed emergency surgery on his large intestine. And at 2 in the morning, they handed me a clipboard that said, not liable for death. I signed off on the waiver. Uh, Krista was home with Julia, sleeping, making sure she was okay. I walked down to the lobby at Chalk outside, opened my Bible up. And before I could even read a passage of scripture, I began to cry. I was like, God, this isn't part of the church planning manual. Nowhere did I read, you know, wife might get cancer, son has to have emergent surgery in the first month of church. And I was filled with a lot of questions. You know, I mean, I know there's a spiritual battle. Like, we know that. But deep inside, I was privately asking God, God, are you in control? Like, we have been faithful. Are you still in control? And what am I to do with what is happening with all of these things? Well, thankfully, after several tests, just to reassure everybody, Krista does not have cancer. The mass was found to be, you know, uh, not cancerous. Cole's surgery went really well, and he hasn't had any issues in over a year since. Um, but at the core, it really shook us. And we asked ourselves, you know, what do we do when uh, life doesn't look like the plans that we thought it would have? Um, have you ever asked yourself those questions before? This morning, as we begin a new study, we're going to be looking at uh, a person uh, in the Old Testament named Habakkuk. And actually, we're looking at four Old Testament figures. I don't know if you've read much of the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of times in the church, we focus on the New Testament. But for the next several months, we're going to be learning about God from the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at four characters 
who faced out-of-control circumstances, and they all asked themselves, God, what do I do when your plans don't make sense? And so the study is called Out of Our Control Freak. I wanted to call it Out of Control, but I didn't get my way, which is kind of, a whole, actually our whole staff didn't like the name, but it was kind of given to us from our main campus. And uh, that's a good thing, right? To remind ourselves, even though I don't like the name, but I'm not in control. And the story of the, the whole series is looking at uh, the season in the Old Testament called the exile. It's when Israel was taken captive by Babylon. They were removed from their promised land and taken to what is now de- uh, modern-day Iraq. And during the years between 580 uh, BC and 520 BC, uh, uh, 520 BC they were um, uh, in a really difficult spot. They lived in a different country. They were exiles. They didn't know what was going to happen. The, the most raw and authentic parts of our Bible are in that season of, of history. And they were asking themselves, God, like, are you in control? And what am I to do when your plans don't make sense? So today, we're going to look at Habakkuk. And if you have your Bibles, go to Habakkuk chapter 1. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. And maybe Hayden can grab one for you. Just raise your hand high. This is a message you do want to have a Bible. Um, and, or your, your digital tablet or your phone. It will be on the screens, but this is really important. This, this, this morning, the talk is going to be more of an old-school Bible study. So I want to kind of bring you, I'm not going to be less preachy and a little bit more kind of verse-by-verse, verse, walk us through a text, actually walk us through the whole book of Habakkuk, because if you're like me, most likely you've probably never read this book. Um, but I hope, like me, you will be really moved by this book because Habakkuk's message is pretty powerful. Habakkuk is considered to be a minor prophet in the Old Testament. So we have major prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, minor prophets, Amos, Habakkuk, all these guys. right? And they're, they're minor not because of their message being secondary. They're minor because the length of their book is shorter. And we like shorter. You know what I mean? Like if you go Isaiah 50, 50, 60 chapters, long read. Habakkuk is just three chapters long. You can read it in 10 minutes. It reads kind of like a New Testament epistle. And I encourage you to this week take a look and read it in its full in one sitting. It'll help you a lot. Uh, next week, we'll jump into Nehemiah, and then to Esther, and then into Daniel. All four of those characters were part of the exile period when life was out of control. And Habakkuk opens up the book by complaining to God. He complains two times, and they both occur in the first chapter. And we see his complaint in verse 1. He says this, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. You ever talk to God like that? Habakkuk shows us and gives us permission to do so. Or cry out to you, violence. By the way, the Hebrew word for violence is Hamas, like the terrorist organization. So get a picture of this in your mind. Cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. The law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, meaning meaning they marginalize the righteous so that justice is perverted. When Habakkuk wrote this, the nation of Israel was turning their backs on God. 
They wanted nothing to do with uh, the God of the Bible. Uh, Habakkuk says that there was, the law was paralyzed. Not the government law, but the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. People were turning their back on all that God had asked them to do. Uh, violence was everywhere. And worst of all, it seemed like God just didn't care at all. And so Habakkuk complains to God. God, are you going to do anything? Like my nation, the nation that I love, the people that I love, they don't honor you anymore. They don't care about what you've asked us to do. And so he complains. Have you ever seen or known somebody or maybe been part of something that was destroyed? Maybe something you loved was destroyed? Habakkuk feels that way. Something he loves, his nation is falling apart. And I know many people in this room feel that way about our own nation. You know, we, we live in a post-modern society, which means we are post-truth. And the slogan, do what feels good to you, if it feels good, do it, is the most important slogan we live by, right? That's what post-modern is, is just do what feels good to you. And so we don't have a true north of right and wrong and direction in our country anymore and we see some of what Habakkuk is talking about even in our own time. And you might be crying out to God in a similar way. God, what are you doing? What are you up to? And so one of the first lessons we can learn from the book of Habakkuk is that he gives us permission to complain to God. Habakkuk gives us permission to complain to God, to pour out our concerns about our lives, about what's happening in your world or our bigger world. Habakkuk's name means embrace. I know there's a lot of babies being born here. Uh, that's a great name. If anyone's being born Habakkuk, I'll just buy a cup of coffee. That's pretty cool. It, it means embrace. And it's a fitting name for this book because Habakkuk complains, and guess what God does? God embraces Habakkuk. He embraces his questions, and he embraces all his confusion, and the application is really direct to us. He embraces all the complaints we have to him. He embraces when we pray honestly and pour out our hearts to him. He wants to hear us. I think sometimes we think that to wrestle with God is to sin, but God actually invites our wrestling with him. He invites us to pour out our hearts to him. But here's the warning, is if you pour out your heart to him and if we complain, expect an answer from God. Expect him to answer, which is what we see God does in verse five. Look at the nations and watch, God says. And be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe. You can almost picture Habakkuk hearing that and going, oh, a revival is happening. God's going to do something I've never seen. It's going to happen. And then God continues. He says this. Oh, I just lost my place. Here we go. Uh, I am raising up the Babylonians. Babylonians. Habakkuk's like, that's not revival. That's our enemy. He goes on to say, God speaks. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to sweep, uh, seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. God gives Habakkuk an answer. Israel's heart has uh, turned against God, and God says the only way to win them back is to allow Israel to be defeated by Babylon. There's something you need to know about the history of Israel and this text, and actually the whole Old Testament as we get more into it this summer. Uh, Israel, the Jews, loved their land. Their land was given to them by God to Abraham. And the Hebrew word for land is aretz. It's used 1,500 times in the Old Testament. And as you read the Old Testament, look for that word land. The land meant so much to them. 
And so what God is going to do is he's going to use the nation of Babylon to defeat Israel and take away their promised land so that they will return their hearts back to God. It's similar to how parents will take away their kids' favorite toys to try to get their hearts back to them. Now, do you think that Habakkuk likes this plan? Do you think he's like, okay, that's good, I'm, I'm down? No. Do your kids like it when you take away the switch? No, they don't. They're like, oh, I want the switch. Habakkuk doesn't like this plan. And so Habakkuk turns in uh, verse 12, and he complains again. He says this, Lord, are you from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them, speaking of Babylon, to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. You see this picture right now? You see what's going on in this passage? Your eyes are too pure to look at unevil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then, here's this question, do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You see Habakkuk's argument, right? He's like, God, I know we've sinned, okay? We're not trying to argue that. The nation is messed up. But God, why would you allow, like, another more wicked nation to, like, judge us, your people? Like, why would you allow that to happen? And God responds. But what's frustrating about God's response, especially for Habakkuk, is he doesn't explain why this is the only plan available. Um, I was going to geek out about Marvel and Avengers for a moment, but I won't. But I'll just tell you, like, there's a scene in, in the Avengers where uh, uh, Dr. Strange looks ahead at all the possible. You, you know the moment if you're an Avengers person. He says, there's only one. There's only one chance. And he's like, 14 million op options. We have one chance to defeat Thanos. Okay, I'm so like, geeking out for a moment. Right. This is kind of that moment, right? Like, like Habakkuk wants God to say, this is the only play we got, man. This is it. And, but he doesn't. God doesn't do that for Habakkuk. Instead, Habak uh, God just reassures Habakkuk that he sees Babylon's evil and that one day they too will face his judgment. He says this at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, write down this revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. God says, look, my plan's going to happen. I have a plan for you. It's going to happen. It's going to take time. Like, guarantee, it's going to take time. It'll certainly come. It will not delay. So he's like, okay, Habakkuk, believe me. I, I see Babylon. They're going to be judged. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for them. Like, it'll happen. Just relax. Verse 16, he makes it really clear that Babylon will one day be judged. He says this, uh, the cup from the Lord's hand is coming around you, speaking of Babylon, and disgrace will cover your glory. God agrees with Habakkuk. Hey, look, I see they're, they're, they're evil. I will judge them. He says, my word won't prove false. And so Habakkuk has now complained, and God has responded. And now Habakkuk is faced with a decision. Will I trust God's plan? Will I trust that God's plan is for my good and for my country's good? God's plan won't be easy. Being attacked by Babylon will be the hardest thing Israel will go through in their, in their history in the Old Testament. But being defeated and exiled will lead Israel back to dependence on God. And so this leads us really to our second lesson about Habakkuk, and that's this, that the Lord has a plan, and it's for our good. God has a plan for you and for me, and it's for our good. But here's the harsh reality. 
Sometimes the Lord allows circumstances to be put out of our control just to bring us back to what matters most. Sometimes God allows circumstances to be out of our control to bring us back to what matters most. God allows hardships. God allows trials. God allows even nations to fall to bring their hearts back to him. Church, has God been trying to get a hold of your heart? Has he been trying to get a hold of your heart to create more dependence in your life because maybe those circumstances you're going through are there just to bring you back to dependence on him? Maybe he just is allowing that to bring dependence back to him. Maybe you can't fathom that what you're going through could possibly be for your good. The truth is you might never see the good that you hope for in your lifetime. Habakkuk was dead for 60 years before Nehemiah the prophet came back from Babylon to build the, temp, the, the walls around Jerusalem. And he built the walls, and in Nehemiah chapter 8, it says this, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. That verse isn't on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 3, if you want to write it down. All the, book, the people listened attentively to the book of the law. What's happening here? Remember in Habakkuk chapter 1, what does he complain about? No one honors the law. 180 years after Habakkuk complains, Nehemiah comes back, he establishes the wall, and they read the Bible, and God's people's hearts return back to him. Habakkuk did not see God's plan play out. He was long gone before God's ultimate plan was lived. And so it's not easy. He's got a plan for us. He intends it for our dependence. Sometimes we won't even see his plans play out, but he has them. In fact, as we try to uh, trust God, we might ask ourselves, well, how can I be sure that he'll come through on his plans? I don't know if you've seen this picture or not, but if we can bring it on the screen, this is a great illustration. This is the Bible, okay? Like flattened. If you've, I mean, who's seen this picture before? It's been around the internet. It's really cool. So the white part on the Bible, that's like the whole Bible laid out. So picture the Bible like this, okay? All right, everyone? Okay, that's the, the white part. All of the little strands are all the places where the Bible is fulfilled by other circumstances later on. And so, like, you can see, like, in Genesis, it connects back to Revelation. And in Isaiah, the middle of the Bible, which is a big, long strand, that's Isaiah 55, it connects into Jesus. You can see that the Bible was written over, you know, 2,000 years of human history by 66 authors. And yet God had a plan in place. Not every person in, those, in, in, the, in the pages of Scripture saw God's plan work out the way they wanted it to. But God had a plan. God has a plan for you. And sometimes he allows things to get crazy just to create the dependence and to go after our hearts like he's doing in Israel's life. So we come back to this question, if God does have a plan for my good, how can I trust that he will come through? Well, he tells us in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the next verse down, God says, but the righteous person will live by his faith. On the surface, this verse might not mean much to you, but it meant everything to Habakkuk. This is actually the turning point in the book of Habakkuk. Verse 4, the righteous will live by faith, is a direct reference to Genesis chapter 15, when God promised Abraham the promised land. It's a direct reference to what God said to Abraham. And in chapter 15 of Genesis, you can turn there, I'll kind of quote verses that will come on the screen. Verse 7, God speaks to Abraham. He says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? There's the question, that I will gain possession of it. Lord, how will I know that your plans are going to come true for me? How will I know that you're going to come through? I need to know, right? 
He needs to have the sense of safety under God's leadership. And so the Lord says, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young uh, pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, pay attention to this, and arranged the halves opposite each other, the birds, however, did not cut in half. What is going on here? Well, in this day and age, the way that you made a contract was not by just putting your name on like a, a sheet. That was for wimps, okay? The way they made contracts and made covenants and promises in their day was they took animals. This is a little gruesome, but we, we were all at Norco. We could do this, right? <laughs> and they cut, they cut a cow, a heifer, in half. They cut a pigeon. They cut some other animals in half. They laid them on the ground. You're, I'm glad I didn't personally illustrate this this morning. Uh, and two halves. And then each person would walk through the trail of blood and intestines that were laid out from the animals. Pretty disgusting. And what they were saying was, if I break my promise to you today, if I ever break my oath, if I, if I break my covenant that I'm making with you today, may what we just did to these animals be done to me. That's the way real men make a promise. Come on, that's, pretty, that's some crazy stuff. And so when this happens, Abraham knows that God, when he says, bring me a heifer, bring me these animals, Abraham knows that God's about to make a promise with him. Verse 17, Abraham cuts up the animals. When the sun had set and the darkness uh, uh, had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. So when darkness comes, here's these pieces of animals, and it says that a smoke and blaze appears. This is not a reference to any cannabis use, by the way. I just want us to know that, okay? It's messing around. It's like, but instead, this is actually a reference to God's presence. See, God's presence is described in the book of Exodus as smoke and blaze that leads God's people from the desert into the promised land. And then later on, God's presence is described as smoke and blaze on the top of Mount Sinai when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. This is God's presence coming down. And he's walking through these two animals to make a covenant. But what's astonishing to Abraham is not that God is walking through them. What's astonishing to him is that Abraham doesn't walk through them. You see, whenever a king would make a covenant with another king or a lesser king, the first most powerful king would walk through first, and then the vassal or the lesser king would walk through second. But in Genesis 15, only God walks through the pieces alone. Abraham never walks through them. You see, what God is saying is this. He's saying, I promise to bless you, Abraham. I promise to give you land. I promise that one day from your offspring, Jesus Christ will be born. I promise to help you. And if I don't do what I say, may what we did today happen to me. May my power become powerless. May my body be crushed. May I suffer disgrace. You see, what God was doing with Abraham is he was totally committing himself to his people. He was saying, I promise, I swear on my own namesake to come through to you. And nothing depended on Abraham and everything depended on God to do it. So in Habakkuk heard in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous person lives by faith. You know what he thinks about? He thinks about God walking through these two halves of animals, fully committing himself to helping his people, fully saying, Abraham, I'm going to give you some land, and I'm going to be with you through everything that happens to you. 
And now Habakkuk, on the verge of seeing that land taken away by Babylon, remembers that covenant that God made with him. And he knows that he can trust that God to come through. That God is staking his namesake on coming through for his people. And this leads Habakkuk to end the book with one of the most powerful verses, I think, in the Bible. Habakkuk 3.19, you can turn the page and look at the, it's the very last verse in the Bible, or in the, um, in the book of Habakkuk. He says this, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He says, I know God is going to come through for me. He says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights because God is going to come through because he, he put his namesake to come through for us. I know that he will strengthen me. I know that he will be here for me. I know that he will help me through every circumstance. And he pictures the ibex sheep, which are able to walk in these high places on very thin ledges. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before, but I have a little video from uh, one of those amazing discovery shows on the screen. Here they are. You ever seen this before? This is what Habakkuk's picturing. He's saying, because God's going to come through for me, he's going to make me like this. You ever feel like this? Anyone feel like this right now? <laughs> like, this is what it's like when life is out of control. When things are not going, this is a bad day, right? But that Ibex sheep is able to walk in the high places. And what God is saying, what Habakkuk is saying, is because God is faithful to his people, he will enable you to walk like one of these through any situation that you're going to go through. So if you have a relationship with God, you can trust God's presence. You can trust that he will enable you. You can trust that he walked with you. You can trust that he will just give himself to you to help you through every situation that you're in. And so this leads us to really the third lesson of Habakkuk, which is this. God has promised to keep this plan in our life, and he's promised to keep us faithful to it. And you know how you know? Because when Jesus died on the cross, God was making another covenant with his people. It wasn't a covenant that involved the blood of animals. It was a covenant that involved way more than that, the blood of his son, Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus' life was torn apart. His blood was shed. And just like that animal that God walked through, God is making a covenant with each one of us. And he's saying to you, when you put your faith in Jesus, I'm fully committing myself to you. And I'm putting my name and my namesake on the blood of my son, that whatever you go through, whatever wrong you've done in your past, whatever sin you've committed, I will not condemn you. I will forgive you. I will accept you. I will call you my son or my daughter. And whatever you go through in life, I will fully commit to helping you through whatever that looks like. That promise is for you. So this is the gospel in the book of Habakkuk. It's a beautiful picture of God's covenant with us as his people. And this led Apostle Paul to say in Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If Jesus Christ was crucified for us and God has promised a covenant between him and us and we didn't do anything, you know, salvation isn't you and him. and It's all God. God put everything on it. We just trust by faith and follow him. This led the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon to say, 
It's not your hold of Christ that saves you, but his hold of you. Christ has you. God has you. Whatever circumstances you're going through, God has you, and he's put his namesake on it to see you through. I have a friend of mine who fell in love with a guy, the man of her dreams. And she looked forward to the wedding day, and I had the chance to mentor them and walk with them a little bit through their dating season. And then we got uh, a card in the mail that a wedding was coming. We were really excited about seeing them get married and, and have their, their life together. And then all of a sudden, we heard that the wedding was canceled, that the guy had made a relationship-ending decision, and the wedding was called off, and the relationship was, was over. And everyone found out, and they were devastated. And people were hurt, and I imagine this young woman who looked to marry the man of her dreams was really, really just, yeah, overwhelmed and devastated. And as I think about her, I think about these two points from Habakkuk, that God has a friend, or has a, has a plan for my friend's good. Number two, that God has promised to keep his plan and to keep her faithful to what he wants for her. And he staked his name on it. And that's true of each one of us in this room as well. You know, I don't know what circumstances are out of control for you, but God has promised himself to us as his people. There's a story that I've seen several times through the Alpha Course, and I want us to watch it. It's of a guy, I don't know who he is, but his story always compels me. He's got a crazy past, and God was faithful to him. So take a look at the screen as we watch his testimony. Often as we look back, we can see that God can use our mistakes. And goodness, I've made so many of them. God didn't put me in prison. I did. God didn't make me get two divorces. I did. But he's helped me all the way, th all the way through it. You know, dysfunctional parents, alcoholics, thrown out when I was 15 through an argument with my father, uh, moved into a squat with a, with a gang, got in trouble with the police, ended up with a prison sentence, came out of there, joined the army at 21, uh, two marriages, two divorces, almost alcoholic, from being bullied at school to joining the army boxing team and being a bully in a uniform. My mother died. Um, I hadn't seen my mom since I was a kid. She got ill. She had cancer. My mom and dad were both heavy smokers and heavy drinkers. Uh, a long story short, again, she got put into hospital. I had about 10 days with her and she died. She had a massive sort of um, tumor and, uh, and just fell asleep in, in my arm. And that was a catalyst for me really to, um, to start thinking about stuff. And that set me on the journey. And then shortly after that, a friend of mine said, you've got lots of questions. You should probably try an alpha course. You know, 16 years in the army. I've jumped out of airplanes, I've done rifle courses, I've done military, I've done courses on everything. I'll do a course on God. And I remember just sitting there listening to these talks and I thought, do you know what, I've never heard any of this stuff. It was all completely new to me. And, uh, and I prayed. And my prayer was, if you're up there and all this stuff is true and you can make me a better man, you can make me a better character, you know, you could make me... A, hopefully a faithful husband, a good father, someone who people would like, then you know what, let's go for it. And then things started to change. Really weird stuff was going through my head. You know, I thought, I've lived with my girlfriend eight years. Maybe we should get married. We talked about it and we got married. Prayed and got my son back in my life who had left when he was three. He's now 36, living with us. And now I've got a 18-year-old daughter who's gorgeous. 
I mean, if you'd have told me, you know, a few years ago that I would be a vicar in the Church of England, I'd have said, you're completely crazy. It was the furthest thing from my, it wasn't even in my mind. I still have to pinch myself at, at times. So I'm working with people now who really I've been around most of my life. A lot of people I can relate to. I work with the homeless, those affected with mental health issues, those in prison, those coming out of prison through a charity called Care Infects Offenders. And I was presented with a, an MBE for, for me, which I think is really exciting for working with ex-offenders. And to be honored like that is, is extraordinary. And it's what God says, I have a good and perfect plan for your life, plan to prosper you and not to harm you, plan to give you hope and a future. And he says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And, and that for me is what, what keeps me going. That for me is what keeps me going. That is God's covenant. That's God's promise to him. And so what are we to do? I mentioned that. What are we to do when, when life doesn't seem like it's going the way we want, when God's plans aren't, aren't, aren't making sense? Habakkuk closes his book in chapter 3, verse 17. He says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, even though everything is going wrong, he says, right? Like every one of these descriptions is going wrong. And this, this series, and today I know it's very relevant for us because I've talked to so many of us in our church, and things aren't always going right for us in our congregation. There's been so many things happen in our congregation recently. People's backs have gone out. Spouses have gone through medical things. Jobs have gotten more demanding. And you might be thinking, the circumstances are not going well. And this is exactly what he is describing. Though the fig tree doesn't grow and the vines don't grow, he says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I'll be joyful in the Lord God, my Savior. What are we to do when God's plans don't make sense? We are to praise him through his plans. We are to praise him through his plans. How come? It's because God has a plan that's good. It creates dependence for us. And in God's plan, he's promised to fulfill his plan and keep us faithful to it. And so as we're walking with him, we are to praise him through it. Praise isn't about your circumstances going well. Praise isn't a feeling. Praise is an act of faith. To say, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of Jesus. And you made a covenant with me, God. And you declared that you'd be faithful to me no matter what I go through. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to praise you through what I'm facing right now. So this past week, I had a little bit of a smaller out-of-control week than the story I told you at the beginning. And uh, my daughter was jumping on a trampoline. She fractured her toe. Shocking, right? Trampoline. It's like everything bad happens in life on a trampoline. And took her to urgent care for four hours. I love that. Uh, then there was ministry that happened. We had two missionaries visiting our church and hosting them. We had a beautiful wedding last night. Amanda and Spencer got married. It was awesome. But, you know, those all take a lot of time. I had my sermon to write. Uh, this, this message. Then my son got bronchitis, which is where my family's at this morning. Four more hours at urgent care. And I mean, it was just like everything on my to-do list could not get done. You ever have those weeks, you know? And I sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me, Aaron, praise me through it. Like, I know this, this is a small, this is just a weak shot. Like, this is you kind of walking in a high place. Like, praise me through it. I will enable you to walk through this. Just get through this week. I'll be with you. I'll be faithful. Praise me. And I don't, I don't really want to praise him. 
I, I kind of want to be like a victim and a little baby. I wanted to be like, no, God, I don't want to. I'm stressed. Wah. You know? I wanted to do the complaining part, like Habakkuk did, which we have permission for. God wanted to lead me into praise. I wanted to complain. God wanted to get me to praise. And the bridge of the two is just a little bit of God's presence, his spirit, nudging, nudging, nudging. So I'm in the car. I'm like, fine. I have felt this weight to praise you all week. I turn on some worship music, and I start praising God. No longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I start praising God. By the third song, I'm sure the people driving by me are like, what's that guy doing? I'm just going for it, man. And the spirit of God and the way that he does for us, he just started to do something and kind of clear out the crevices of my heart and my faith started to get bigger and my strength started to return and my mind got clear of the stress. Something started to happen that only the Holy Spirit can do when we start to praise the name of Jesus and declare that God's faithful to us in him, not because of us, because of him. I arrived at my destination. My circumstances had not changed. My to-do list had not changed. My kids were still sick. There was still stress in my, in my, in my, in my, in my week. But yet my outlook had changed. My heart had changed. My faith had changed. And in a way, God had done what he promised in Habakkuk. He made my feet like the feet of the deer. Just to walk the ledge of the weak. So what are we to do when God's plans do not make sense? We are to praise him through his plans. And as we praise him through his plans, we find that he enables us to walk with him. God is faithful. I do not know what you're carrying today. But this morning, I encourage you, go to him. Pour out your heart to him. We're going to praise him right now in a moment. And do not hold back. Bring whatever it is that you have this week, whatever's coming up this week, and be reminded that as you praise him, he is faithful to you, and he has put his namesake on it. And the cross is a reminder of that namesake, that his son's shed blood is a reminder that he proves and guarantees that he'll be faithful to you and to us as a church. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Habakkuk. Thank you for the reminder that when life is out of control, God, you have a plan, and that you're faithful to your plan, and that Jesus Christ is a reminder of the covenant we have that wasn't earned by us, it was all you. And you put your namesake on it. You said, by Jesus' blood, I will guarantee to walk with you, and I'll accept you and forgive you. And no matter what you go through, I will be with you. And so, Lord, this morning, I just want to pray for anybody here. There's been a lot in our congregation the last couple weeks. There's been jobs, there's been things happening. And I pray for anybody who has a burden and a weight. And if you would just be so bold as to raise your hand this morning, just as a sign of like, yeah, I've had that kind of a week, or I've had that kind of season. I just want to pray for you. Okay, I see you. Yeah, thank you. Multiple hands. Multiple hands. God, you see every hand in this room. And right now, Holy Spirit, would you just give each person peace? Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us with your presence. We need your strengthening. We ask you to make us like those deer that can walk in the high places. Help us, Lord. We know that you promise us that you will always be with us and that you have a plan. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We are grateful people.